Chapter eighty nine of Thomas Wingfold, Curate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Thomas Wingfold, Curate by George MacDonald. Chapter eighty nine. The bedside. George Bascon, when he went to Paris had no thought of deserting Ellen, but he had good ground for fearing that it might be ruinous both to Lingard and himself to undertake his defence. From Paris he wrote often to Ellen, and she replied, not so often, yet often enough to satisfy him, and as soon as he was convinced that Leopold could not recover, she let him know, whereupon he instantly began his preparations for returning before he came the weather had changed once more it was now cold and the cold had begun at once to tell upon the invalid there are some natures to which cold moral spiritual or physical is lethal and lingard's was of the class when the dying leaves began to shiver in the breath of the coming winter the very brightness of the sun to look gleamy and nature to put on the unfriendly aspect of a world not made for living in but for shutting out when all things took the turn of reminding man that his life lay not in them leopold began to shrink and withdraw he could not face the ghastly persistence of the winter which should come let all the souls of the summer nations shrink and protest as they might let them creep shivering to hades that he would have his day his sufferings were now considerable but he never complained restless and fevered and sick at heart it was yet more from the necessity of a lovely nature than from any virtue of will that he was so easy to nurse accepting so readily all ministrations never exacting and never refusing he was always gently grateful giving a sort of impression that he could have been far more thankful had he not known the object of the kindnesses so unworthy next to wingfords and his sisters the face he always welcomed most was that of the gatekeeper indeed i ought hardly to say next to theirs for if the curate was to him as a brother polworth was like a father in christ he came every day and every day almost till that of his departure leopold had something to ask him about or something to tell him i am getting so stupid mr polworth he said once it troubles me much i don't seem to care for anything now i don't want to hear the new testament i would rather hear a child's story something that did not want thinking about if i am not cussing i am content i could lie for hours and hours and never think more than what goes creeping through my mind no faster than a canal in holland when i am cussing I don't think about anything then either. 
only long for the fit to be over and let me back again into sleepy hollow all my past life seems to be gone from me i don't care about it even my crime looks like something done ages ago i know it is mine and i would rather it were not mine but it is as if a great cloud had come and swept away the world in which it took place i am afraid sometimes that i am beginning not to care even about that i said to myself i shall be sorry again by and by but i can't think about it now i feel as if i had handed it over to god to lay down where i should find it again when i was able to think and be sorry this was a long utterance for him to make but he had spoken slowly and with frequent pauses polworth did not speak once feeling that a dying man must be allowed to ease his mind after his own fashion and take as much time to it as he pleased Ellen and wingfold both would have told him he must not tell himself but that polworth never did the dying should not have their utterances checked or the feeling of not having finished forced upon them they will always have plenty of the feeling without that a fit of coughing compelled him to break off and when it was over he lay panting and weary but with his large eyes questioning the face of polworth then the little man spoke he must give us every sort of opportunity for trusting him he said the one he now gives you is this dullness that has come over you trust him through it submitting to it and yet trusting against it and you get the good of it in your present state perhaps you cannot even try to bring about by force of will any better state of feeling or higher intellectual condition but you can say to god something like this see lord i am dull and stupid and care for nothing take thou care of everything for me heart and mind and all i leave all to thee wilt thou not at length draw me out of this my frozen wintry state let me not shrink from fresh life and thought and duty or be unready to come out of the shell of my sickness when you send us for me i wait thy will i wait even the light that i feel now as if i dare not encounter for weariness of body and faintness of spirit ah cried leopold there you have touched it how can you know so well what i feel because i have often had to fight hard to keep death to his own province and not let him cross over into my spirit alas i am not fighting at all i am only letting things go you are fighting more than you know i suspect for you are enduring and that patiently suppose jesus were to knock at the door now and it was locked suppose you know it was he and there was no one in the room to open it for him suppose you were as weak as you are now and seemed to care as little about him or anything else what would you do 
leopold looked half amazed as if wondering what his friend could be driving at with such question what else could i do but get up and open it he said would you not be tempted to lie still and wait till someone came no would you not say in your heart the lord knows i am very weak and i should catch a cold and the exhaustion would make me cough dreadfully and he won't mind if i lie still that i wouldn't what should i care what came up to me what would it matter so long as i got one look at him besides if he didn't want me to get up he wouldn't knock but suppose you knew that the moment you turned the key you would drop down and when the lord came in you would not see him i can't think where you want to take me mr polworth said the youth even if i knew i should drop dead the moment i got out on the floor what would it matter i should get to him the sooner then and tell him why i didn't open the door can you suppose for a moment i should let any care for my miserable body of mine come between my eyes and the face of my lord you see then that you do care about him a little though a minute ago you didn't think it there are many feelings in us that are not able to get upstairs the moment we call them be as dull and stupid as it pleases god to let you be and trouble neither yourself nor him about that only ask him to be with you all the same the little man dropped on his knees by the bedside and said o oh lord jesus be near when it seems to us as it seemed to thee once that our father has forsaken us and gathered back to himself all the gifts he once gave us even thou who wast mighty in death didst need the presence of thy father to make thee able to endure forget not us the work of thy hands yea the labour of thy heart and spirit oh remember that we are his offspring neither accountable for our own being nor able to comfort or strengthen ourselves if thou wert to leave us alone we should cry out upon thee as on the mother who threw her babes to the wolves and there are no wolves able to terrify thee ah lord we know thou livest us not only in our weakness we would comfort our hearts with the music of the world of faith thou canst not do other than care for us lord christ for whether we be glad or sorry slow of heart or full of faith all the same are we the children of thy father he sent us here and never asked us if we would therefore thou must be with us and give us repentance and humility and love and faith that we may indeed be the children of thy father who is in heaven amen while polworth was yet praying the door had opened gently behind him and ellen not knowing that he was there had entered with bascon he neither heard their entrance nor saw the face of disgust that george made behind his back what was in bascom's deepest soul 
who shall tell of that region himself knew nothing it was a silent holy place into which he had never yet entered therefore lonely and deserted as the top of sinai after the cloud had departed no i will not say that who knows what is where man cannot or will not look if george had sought there perhaps he might have found traces of a presence not yet altogether vanished in what he called and imagined his deepest soul however all he was now conscious of was a perfect loathing of the monstrous superstition so fitly embodied before him the prayer of the kneeling absurdity was to him an audacious mockery of the infrangible laws of nature this hulk of misshapen pottery actually presuming to believe that an invisible individual heard what he said because he crooked on his hinges to say it it did not occur to george that the infrangible laws of nature she had herself from the very first so agonizingly broken to the poor dwarf she had been to him such a cruel stepmother that he was in evil case indeed if he could find no father to give him fair play and a chance of the endurable was he so much to blame if he felt the annihilation offered by such theories as george not altogether a satisfactory counterpoise either to its existence or its loss if even he were to fancy in his trouble that the old fable of an elder brother something more humble than grand and some george bascombe and more ready to help his little brothers and sisters might be true seeing that an old story is not necessarily a false one and were to try after the hints it gave surely in his condition such folly however absurd to a man of george bascombe's endowments might of the more gifted ephemerus be pardoned if not pitied nor will i assert that he was altogether unaware of any admixture of the sad with the ludicrous when he saw the amorphous agglomerate of human shreds and patches kneeling by the bedside of the dying murderer to pray some comfort into his passing soul but his gorge rose at the nonsense and stuff of it while through ellen ran a cold shudder of disgust at the familiarity and irreverence of the little spiritual prig how many of the judgments we are told not to judge and yet do judge must make the angels of the judging and the judged turn and look at each other and smile a sad smile ere they set themselves to forget that which so sorely needs to be forgotten polworth rose from his knees unaware of a hostile presence leopold he said taking his hand i would gladly if i might walk with you through the shadow but the heart of all hearts will be with you rest in your tent a little while which is indeed the hollow of the father's hand turned over to you with your strong brother watching the door your imagination cannot go beyond the truth of him who is the father of lights or of him who is the elder brother of men leopold answered only with his eyes 
Paul was turned to go, and saw the onlookers. They stood between him and the door, but parted and made room for him to pass. Neither spoke. He made a bow first to one and then to the other, looking up in the face of each, unabashed by smile or scorn or blush of annoyance, but George took no notice, walking straight to the bed the moment the way was clear. Helen's conscience, however, or heart, smote her, and, returning his bow, she opened the door to her brother's friend. He thanked her and went his way. Poor dear fellow, said George kindly, and stroked the thin hand laid in his. Can I do anything for you? Nothing but be good to Helen when I'm gone, and tell her now and then that I'm not dead, but living in the hope of seeing her again one day before long. She might forget sometimes, not me, but that you know. Yes, yes, I'll see to it, answered George in the evil tone of one who faithfully promises a child an impossibility. Of course, there was no more harm in lying to a man who was just on the verge of being a man no more, and becoming only an unpleasant mass of chemicals, which a whole ant heap of little laws would presently be carrying outside the gates of the organic, than there had been in lying to him when he supposed him a madman. Neither could any one blame him for his inconsistency, for had he not always said, in the goodness of his heart, that he would never disturb the faith of all people drawing now their hand, because such no more possessed the needful elasticity of brain to accommodate themselves to the subversion of previous moods of feeling and thought, unavoidable to the adoption of his precious revelation. Precious, he did believe it, never having himself one of those visions of infinite hope which were his theory once proved as true as he imagined it, must them indeed vanish forever. Do you suffer much? asked George. Yes, a good deal. Pain? Not so much, sometimes. The weakness is the worst. But it doesn't matter. God is with me. What good does that do you? asked George, forgetting himself, half in contempt, half in curiosity, which he would have called, and which perhaps was, scientific. But Leopold took it in good faith and answered, It sets it all right, and makes me able to be patient. George laid down the hand he held, and turned sadly to Ellen, but said nothing. The next moment, Wingfold entered. Ellen kissed the dying hand, and left the room with George. End of chapter 89